Chapter Twenty One of Ormond by Maria Edgeworth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. During the course of Ormond's tour through Ireland, he frequently found himself in company with those who knew the history of public affairs for years past, and were but too well acquainted with the political profligacy and shameful jobbing of Sir Ulic O'Shane some of these gentlemen knowing mr ormond to be his ward refrained of course from touching upon any subject relative to sir ulic and when ormond mentioned him evaded the conversation or agreed in general terms in praising his abilities wit and address but after a day or two's journey from castle hermitage when he was beyond his own and the adjoining counties when he went into company with those who happened to know nothing of his connection with sir ulic o'shane then he heard him spoken of in a very different manner he was quite astonished and dismayed by the general abuse as he thought it which was poured upon him well every man of abilities excites envy every man who takes a part in politics especially in times when parties run high must expect to be abused they must bear it and their friends must learn to bear it for them such were the reflections with which ormond at first comforted himself as far as party abuse went this was quite satisfactory even facts or what are told as facts are so altered by the manner of seeing them by an opposite party that without meaning to traduce they calumniate ormond entrenched himself in total disbelief and cool assertion of his disbelief of a variety of anecdotes he continually heard discreditable to sir ulic still he expected that when he went into other company and met with men of sir ulic's own party he should obtain proofs of the falsehood of these stories and by that he might be able not only to contradict but to confute them people however only smiled and told him that he had better inquire no farther if he expected to find sir ulic an immaculate character those who liked him best laughed off the notorious instances of his public defection of principle and of his private jobbing as good jokes proofs of his knowledge of the world his address his frankness his being not a bit of a hypocrite but even those who professed to like him best and to be the least scrupulous with regard to public virtue still spoke with a sort of facetious contempt of sir ulic as a thorough-going friend of the powers that be as a hack of administration as a man who knew well enough what he was about ormond was continually either surprised or hurt by these insinuations the concurrent testimony of numbers who had no interest to serve or prejudice to gratify operated upon him by degrees so as to enforce conviction and this was still more painful harry became so sore and irritable upon this subject that he was now every day in danger of entangling himself in some quarrel in defence of his guardian 
several times the master of the house prevented this and brought him to reason by representing that the persons who talked of sir ulic were quite ignorant of his connection with him and spoke only according to general opinion and to the best of their belief of a public character who was fair game it was at that time much the fashion among a certain set in dublin to try their wit upon each other in political and poetical squibs the more severe and bitter these were the more they were applauded the talent for invective was in the highest demand at this period in ireland it was considered as the unequivocal proof of intellectual superiority the display of it was the more admired as it could not be enjoyed without a double portion of that personal promptitude to give the satisfaction of a gentleman on which the irish pride themselves the taste of the nation both for oratory and manners has become of late years so much more refined that when any of the lampoons of that day are now recollected people are surprised at the license of abuse which was then tolerated and even approved of in fashionable society sir ulic o'shane as a well-known public character had been the subject of a variety of puns bon mots songs and epigrams which had become so numerous as to be collected under the title of ulyssiana upon the late separation of sir ulic and his lady a new edition with a caricature frontispiece had been published unfortunately for ormond this had just worked its way from dublin to this part of the country it happened one day at a gentleman's house where this ulyssiana had not yet been seen that a lady a visitor and a stranger full of some of the lines which she had learned by heart began to repeat them for the amusement of the tea-table ladies do not always consider how much mischief they may do by such imprudence or how they may hazard valuable lives for the sake of producing a sensation by the repetition of a severe thing ormond came into the room after dinner and with some other gentlemen gathered round the tea-table while the lady was repeating some extracts from the new edition of the ulyssiana the master and mistress of the house made reiterated attempts to stop the lady but too intent upon herself and her second-hand wit to comprehend or take these hints she went on reciting the following lines to serve in parliament the nation sir ulic read his recantation at first he joined the patriot throng but soon perceiving he was wrong he ratted to the courtier tribe bought by a title and a bribe but how that new-found friend to bind with any oath of any kind disturbed the premier's wary mind upon his faith upon his word oh that my friend is too absurd upon his honour quite a jest upon his conscience no such test by all he has on earth tis gone by all his hopes of heaven there none how then secure him in our pay he can't be trusted for a day how when you want the fellow's throat pay by the job 
you have his vote sir ulic himself had he been present would have laughed off the epigram with the best grace imaginable and so in good policy ought ormond to have taken it but he felt it too much and was not in the habit of laughing when he was vexed most of the company who knew anything of his connection with sir ulic or who understood the agonizing looks of the master and mistress of the house politely refrained from smiles or applause but a cousin of the lady who repeated the lines a young man who was one of the hateful tribe of quizzers on purpose to try ormond praised the verses to the skies and appealed to him for his opinion i can't admire them sir replied ormond what fault can you find with them said the young man winking at the bystanders i think them incorrect in the first place sir said ormond and altogether indifferent well at any rate they can't be called moderate said the gentleman and as to incorrect the substance i fancy is correctly true fancy sir it would be hard if character were to be at the mercy of fancy cried ormond hastily but checking himself he in a mild tone added before we go any farther sir i should inform you that i am a ward of sir ulic o'shane's oh mercy exclaimed the lady who had repeated the verses i am sure i did not know that or i would not have said a word i declare i beg your pardon sir ormond's bow and smile spoke his perfect satisfaction with the lady's contrition and his desire to relieve her from farther anxiety so the matter might have happily ended but her cousin though he had begun merely with an intention to try ormond's temper now felt piqued by his spirit and thought it incumbent upon him to persist having drunk enough to be ill-humoured he replied in an aggravating and ill-bred manner your being sir ulic o'shane's ward may make a difference in your feelings sir but i don't see why it should make any in my opinion in the expression of that opinion at least sir i think it ought the master of the house now interfered to explain and pacify and ormond had presence of mind and command enough over himself to say no more while the ladies were present he sat down and began talking about some trifle in a gay tone but his flushed cheek and altered manner showed that he was only repressing other feelings the carriages of the visitors were announced and the strangers rose to depart ormond accompanied the master of the house to hand the ladies to their carriages to mark his being in perfect charity with the fair penitent he showed her particular attention which quite touched her and as he put her into her carriage she all the time repeated her apologies declared it should be a lesson to her for life and cordially shook hands with him at parting for her sake he wished that nothing more should be said on the subject but on his return to the hall he found there the cousin buttoning on his great coat and seeming loath to depart still in ill-humour the gentleman said i hope you are satisfied with that lady's apologies mr ormond i am sir perfectly that's lucky 
for apologies are easier had from ladies than gentlemen and become them better i think it becomes gentlemen as well as ladies to make candid apologies where they are conscious of being wrong if there was no intention to give offence if is a great peacemaker sir but i scorn to take advantage of an if am i to suppose then sir said ormond that it was your intention to offend me suppose what you please sir i am not in the habit of explanation or apology then sir the sooner we meet the better said ormond in consequence ormond applied to an officer who had been present during the altercation to be his second ormond felt that he had restrained his anger sufficiently he was now as firm as he had been temperate the parties met and fought the man who deserved to have suffered by the chance of this rational mode of deciding right and wrong escaped unhurt ormond received a wound in his arm it was only a flesh wound he was at the house of a very hospitable gentleman whose family were kind to him and the inconvenience and pain were easily borne in the opinion of all in that part of the world who knew the facts he had conducted himself as well as the circumstances would permit and as it was essential not only to the character of a hero but of a gentleman at that time in ireland to fight a duel we may consider ormond as fortunate in not having been in the wrong he rose in favour with the ladies and in credit with the gentlemen and he heard no more of the ulysiana but he was concerned to see paragraphs in all the irish papers about the duel that had been fought between m n esquire junior of blank and h o esquire in consequence of a dispute that arose about some satirical verses repeated by a lady on a certain well-known character nearly related to one of the parties a flaming account of the duel followed in which there was the usual newspaper proportion of truth and falsehood ormond knew and regretted that this paragraph must meet the eyes of his guardian and still more was he sorry that dr cambray should see it he knew the doctor's christian abhorrence of the whole system of duelling and by the statement in the papers it appeared that that gallant youth h o esquire to whom the news-writer evidently wished to do honour had been far more forward to provoke the fight than he had been or than he ought to have been his own plain statement of facts which he wrote to dr cambray would have set everything to rights but his letter crossed the doctor's on the road as he was now in a remote place which the delightful mail-coach roads had not then reached where the post came in only three days in the week and where the mail-cart either broke down lost a wheel had a tired horse was overturned or robbed at an average once a fortnight our hero had no alternative but patience and the amusement of calculating dates and chances upon his restless sofa his taste for reading enabled him to pass agreeably some of the hours of bodily confinement 
which men and young men especially accustomed to a great deal of exercise liberty and locomotion generally find so intolerably irksome at length his wound was well enough for him to travel letters for him arrived a warm affectionate one from his guardian and one from dr cambray which relieved his anxiety i must tell you my dear young friend said dr cambray that while you have been defending sir ulic o'shane's public character of which by the by you know nothing i have been defending your private character of which i hope and believe i know something the truth is always known in time with regard to every character and therefore independently of other motives moral and religious it is more prudent to trust to time and truth for their defence than to sword and pistol i know you are impatient to hear what were the reports to your disadvantage and from whom i had them i had them from the annales and they heard them in england through various circuitous channels of female correspondence in ireland as far as we can trace them we think that they originated with your old friend miss black the first account lady annalee heard of you after she went to england was that you were living a most dissolute life in the black islands with king corney who was described to be a profligate rebel and his companion an excommunicated catholic priest king priest and prince harry getting drunk together regularly every night of their lives the next account which lady annalee received some months afterwards in reply to inquiries she had made from her agent was that it was impossible to know anything for certain of mr harry ormond as he always kept in the black islands the report was that he had lately seduced a girl of the name of peggy sheridan a respectable gardener's daughter who was going to be married to a man of the name of moriarty carroll a person whom mr ormond had formerly shot in some unfortunate drunken quarrel the match between her and moriarty had been broken off in consequence the following year accounts were worse and worse this harry ormond had gained the affections of his benefactor's daughter though as he had been warned by her father she was betrothed to another man the young lady was afterwards by her father's anger and by ormond's desertion of her thrown into the arms of a french adventurer whom ormond brought into the house under pretence of learning french from him immediately after the daughter's elopement with the french master the poor father died suddenly in some extraordinary manner when out shooting with this mr ormond to whom a considerable landed property and a large legacy in money were to everybody's surprise found to be left in a will which he produced and which the family did not think fit to dispute there were strange circumstances told concerning the wake and burial all tending to prove that this harry ormond had lost all feeling hints were further given that he had renounced the protestant religion and had turned catholic for the sake of absolution 
many times during the perusal of this extravagant tissue of falsehoods ormond laid down and resumed the paper unable to refrain from exclamations of rage and contempt sometimes almost laughing at the absurdity of the slander after this thought he who can mind common reports and yet dr cambray says that these excited some prejudice against me in the mind of lady annalee with such a woman i should have thought it impossible could she believe me capable of such crimes me of whom she had once a good opinion me in whose fate she said she was interested he took dr cambray's letter again and read on he found that lady annalee had not credited these reports as to the atrocious accusations but they had so far operated as to excite doubts and suspicions in some of the circumstances there was sufficient truth to colour the falsehood for example with regard both to peggy sheridan and dora the truth had been plausibly mixed with falsehood the story of peggy sheridan lady annalee had some suspicion might be true her ladyship who had seen moriarty's generous conduct to ormond was indignant at his ingratitude she was a woman prompt to feel strong indignation against all that was base and when her indignation was excited she was sometimes incapable of hearing what was said on the other side of the question her daughter florence of a calmer temper and cooler judgment usually acted as moderator on these occasions she could not believe that harry ormond had been guilty of faults that were so opposite to those which they had seen in his disposition violence not treachery was his fault but why if there were nothing wrong lady annalee urged why did not he write to her as she had requested he would when his plans for his future life were decided she had told him that her son might probably be able to assist him why could not he write one line ormond had heard that her son was ill and that her mind was so absorbed with anxiety that he could not at first venture to intrude upon her with his selfish concerns this was his first and best reason but afterwards to be sure when he heard that the son was better he might have written he wrote at that time such a sad scrawl of a hand he was so little used to letter writing that he was ashamed to write then it was too late after so long a silence etc foolish as these reasons were they had as we have said before acted upon our young hero and have perhaps in as important circumstances prevented many young men from writing to friends able and willing to serve them it was rather fortunate for ormond that slander did not stop at the first plausible falsehoods when the more atrocious charges came against him miss annalee who had never deserted his cause declared her absolute disbelief the discussions that went on between her and her mother kept alive their interest about this young man he was likely to have been forgotten during their anxiety in the son's illness 
but fresh reports had brought him to their recollection frequently and when their friend dr cambray was appointed to the living of castle hermitage his evidence perfectly reinstated harry in lady annerley's good opinion as if to make amends for the injustice she had done him by believing any part of the evil reports she was now anxious to see him again a few days after dr cambray wrote ormond received a very polite and gratifying letter from lady annerley requesting that as annerley lay in his route homewards he would spend a few days there and give her an opportunity of making him acquainted with her son it is scarcely necessary to say that this invitation was eagerly accepted End of chapter twenty one